All right, technical difficulties and Panther urine have delayed the start of the news today, but we're here now. It's Security Weekly News, episode 165, uh, and it is the week of 7 November 2021. We got Elon, what is it, Uniform Laboratories, you, you, yo, you, Robin Hood, Zoho, loads of ransomware, and Jason Wood on the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. Barracuda says... Don't pay the ransom. Before a ransomware attack occurs, train your teams to recognize an attack and use anti-phishing technology. Protect your applications and they can't get onto your network. Simple backup and restore solutions quickly recover your data without paying the ransom. Build your ransomware protection plan now by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. Revil! We hardly knew you. Well, every week there's some new revelation on Revil, and, and, and this week it, it's that the members of Revil are now being arrested. It's the war on ransomware, a lot like the war on drugs. It's, it's probably not going to work. But Europol arrested seven members suspected as being part of Revil Gancrab ransomware gang. So there's different gangs that are out there. And one of those people is a Ukrainian national that the United States doesn't like very much. And they want that person extradited in relation to the Kaseya attacks. So now this, I, I think this is probably just the, the repurposing of standard organized crime tactics and, and the war on drugs tactics and the war on terrorism tactics that, that we've been using all along, which is essentially you go arrest some low level people, you hope that they roll over and they give you the next person up the chain and so on until you get to Al Capone. Now, of course, that doesn't usually work, and you never actually get Al Capone unless he forgets to pay his taxes or something, or is really, really stupid. Al Capone was not really, really stupid, but he did not pay his taxes, and he, <laughs> yeah, he, he couldn't break the knees of all the IRS people, so you know he ends up in trouble. But, but I think it, it is a way to start sort of mopping up the organization. I mean, the organization. Now, I mean, if Al Capone is left all by his lonesome in a suite at the Bellagio, well, it's not really much of a crime family anymore, is it? But same thing here, only there's a slight difference in this and traditional organized crime. Uh, the high-level Revil members are most likely in Russia, and they're most likely not going to leave Russia anytime soon. And as such, they're not going to get arrested anytime soon, regardless of how much evidence other countries have against them. I mean, there was a, a story last week about a Russian billionaire who is wanted in Germany, and they issued an, uh, orders for his arrest, but good luck arresting any billionaires anyway. I mean, you know, Donald Trump said it best. He said he'd go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody in the face, and, and you know, nobody would do anything, and he's probably right. Um, so, so what do you do? I mean, well, I think sticking with the organized crime tactics uh, does at least something, and it does put the squeeze on them. But like I was saying, one of the big differences in this and traditional organized crime is that a lot of times these things are very, very, very uh, dynamic. 
and the people can move around. They don't have to be in you know West West Jersey or North Jersey or anywhere else. They can be just about anywhere, and they can move to where it's most advantageous for them to be, and or they can just completely you know dissimilate and be scattered all across the globe. Um, now, if they f- screw up and they do something stupid, like forget to pay their taxes or show up at, at DEFCON and whatever, they may well get grabbed. But the DOJ issued an indictment against Yaroslav Vasenjki uh, related to Kaseya and seized $6.1 million worth of ransomware payments. Now, that starts to hurt a little bit. But, you know, if the war on drugs is any indication, it's probably not going to stop ransoms. It's just going to make them higher. So the more pressure you put on them, the more they just crank the ransoms up. We have a story about that a little bit later. But all of this stuff stemmed out of what is called Operation Gold Dust, which has had wiretappings and seizing infrastructure from Revil and so forth. But will any of it actually stop ransomware? I really doubt it. It's just too easy. It's too, there's too much money involved. Now, it may put the hurt on Revil. You know, so so this kind of pressure and this kind of confiscation of assets and so forth may well put the pressure on Revil, but you know they can always just change their name to Meta and start over. Yeah, uh, the FBI warned that there is an uptick in ransomware against tribal casinos. Uh, in the last few months, tribal casinos in the United States have generated millions of in, in ransomware payments uh, to ransomware gangs. And, and, and this is nothing new. I mean, I mean, if you're going to target people with ransomware, casinos are a big fat target sitting out there, you know, glowing in the desert. Uh, now, of course, the casinos that have lots of organized crime behind them, I, that probably isn't true. But if they did, you know, then a couple of guys named Bert and Vinny are going to show up with ball bats and break your knees or your virtual knees or something like that. Yeah, again, that might not actually work. You know, because Bert and Vinny are going to be cruising North Jersey trying to find the guy that, yeah, and it's just not going to work that way. But tribal casinos have been being hit since 2016, but the attacks, according to the FBI, have escalated in the last few months. Uh, these, some of these casinos had to shut down their gaming floors, their restaurants or hotels and all the other services that they have, including gas stations and so forth. Now, if you don't know, the United States have a lot of, uh, of, of hypocrisies uh, and gambling is one of the big ones. We don't allow it. Because, you know, sin and all. So, like, gambling is illegal. Like, like if, if we're here in Rhode Island and we want to put a bet down on something, that would be, even if you do it remotely, it's actually illegal. But, but so we set up special areas where everyone could go and sin like crazy before they come home and being all sanctimonious about how great they are. So they set up Vegas and Atlantic City and all these kind of things. China has Macau. And they basically allow gambling there, but not at home, you know, because, well, the, the children and all. But anyway, tribal nations who kind of got shafted by the government, they actually got really shafted by the government way back when, uh, they realized that because of the way the treaties and such had written for their tribal land, they could set up casinos on their tribal lands. And since they didn't come under the authority of like the, the federal government per se, they could get away with it and make money off all the people who come there to gamble. So... Unfortunately, though, a lot of these tribal entities don't have the resources to investigate this kind of crime. Uh, you know, the FBI is, does not necessarily represent them directly. And so that makes them pretty much popular ta- targets for ransomware gangs. So if you're out there doing support for casinos, watch out. Um, and since we're on ransomware, Media Marked is a large consumer electronics retailer in Europe. They have a thousand stores across 13 countries, and they were hit with Hive ransomware. Now, that's not newsworthy. I, I'm going to tell you. I mean, ransomware, you know, we've almost quit covering this kind of stuff, you know, because it's it, every day there's a ransomware attack. But here, here was the reason I put this story in. 
the ransom demand in this case, $240 million. Yeah. Now, MediaMarkt has total sales of 20.8 billion euros. Now, if you go read this, the story, I'm not sure exactly why the story can't decide which currency it wants to use because they report some stuff in dollars and stuff stuff in euros. But even with you know, if you can with 20.8 billion euros uh, for sale, if we convert the dollars to euros, the ransom is still 207 million euros. And so we do a little math and we get it's like that's like 0.01% of sales. So it's not, you know, crazy unreasonable, but this is one of the largest ransom demands ever. Um, it's kind of like asking me for eight euros, but not really. I mean, that's a lot of euros. I mean, even if you're a big company, that's a lot of euros. And it's, it's unlikely that MediaMarkt can afford to pay that much. Uh, the attack has shut down their storefronts across Europe uh, when it seems like most of the stores in the Netherlands are shut down. Uh, online sales seem okay at this point, but of course, obviously a lot of people get nervous when they hear that the company is ransomware and so forth, but all the in-store uh, point-of-sale systems are apparently are fried. Hive Ransomware is another gang that's been around since about last June, and they typically do the old double threat of stealing the unencrypted files before they ransomware you so they can then threaten to release your documents onto the internet if you don't pay, as well as they've locked all your equipment up. So even if you have backups and stuff, they're still saying, well, yeah, but we're going to release all this information out into the world. Uh, Hive Ransomware attacked a nonprofit Memorial Health Systems back in August and forced the hospital to work with paper records and postpone surgeries and treatment and such. Um, but, you know, con people go after old, they go after old people and sick people. They, they're not going to have any mercy on any of this stuff. So if you're out there and you're saying they're not going to hit me, I'm a nonprofit, all I do is help the homeless, I don't count on it. Because these guys don't have, I mean, if you're going to do this kind of stuff, you have to completely be, you know, separate. You have to be ruthless and relentless, and they are. So beware. Palo Alto issued a warning that an ongoing hacking campaign had already resulted in the compromise of nine organizations worldwide that are in critical infrastructure sectors like defense, healthcare, energy, and so forth. And that's kind of scary because you start saying energy and defense and all these kind of big picture things, you're thinking nuclear reactors, nuclear weapons. And I know there's all kinds of steps in between these hacks and, and that, but you know, we all know that that's not always as good as what people make it out to be. The breach behind the threat is CVE 4539, and it's found in Zoho's enterprise password management solution, which is called Manage Engine Add Self-Service Plus in the big book of difficult-to-say names. Uh, the vulnerability basically allows a remote code execution on unpatched systems with no credentials. So, you know, ouch. Uh, irony strikes, I guess, uh, in that regard that your your remote password or your uh, password archiving system is the place where the, the problem starts. Palo Alto said these attacks started on September 17th with just scans, and then the exploitation of the systems that were unpatched started on the 22nd of September after all the people made their lists and checked them twice. Palo Alto said they did not know the total extent of this campaign, but they believed that at least nine different entities were compromised, and which sounds pretty specific for a believe type of claim. You know, they're like, we, we think that, you know, but, you know, then they're like, nine, no, not 10, or not almost 10, or, you know, it's like nine. But Palo Alto went on to say that their global telemetry indicated that the actor had targeted at least 370 
uh, Zoho managed engine servers in just in the United States, and that didn't include all the ones they were targeting around the world. Uh, the scans uh, by Palo Alto revealed more than more than eleven thousand internet exposed servers that are running vulnerable Zoho software. Yeah, the attack used the vulnerability to deploy a malware dropper. Uh, once they had a that access, they they loaded Godzilla web shells and an open source backdoor called NG Lite. And also another tool called KDC Sponge, which is an, a credential stealer, if you aren't familiar with that one. Uh, once all this was done, and they had, then they could get credentialed access. And so this is almost like the you know, standard kind of Mimi Cats type attack. But they gathered all the, the info they could, and they exfiltrated sensitive information from the domain controllers. Uh, the attacks are suspected to be part of APT27, which has a bunch of cool different names like Emissary Panda and Iron Tiger and Lucky Mouse and all these fun names that different people come up with. Uh, but it's believed to be backed by the Chinese government. So, you know, if you have a Zoho server, you really need to patch that now. Or, and, and honestly, it may be too late. You know, they may have already compromised your server. And so you may have to take further action to determine if you've been compromised and what to do to get back in a safe place. Robinhood is a stock trading platform with a name that would make me a bit nervous in the first place. I, you know, I'm like, wait, am I the rich or the poor in this scenario? You know, Robinhood, all that stuff, Sherwood Forest, steal from the rich, gives to the poor. Yeah, not, not Dennis Moore, if you are a Monty Python fan, but, you know, Dennis Moore, Dennis Moore. Yeah, that kind of thing. But uh, anyway, Robinhood's back in the news. They had a massive uh, attack, uh, to, like in 2019. The, this time they had a massive data breach uh, that resulted from their systems being hacked. They didn't say how, uh, but it basically allowed access to the personal records of roughly 7 million customers. The attack occurred on the 3rd of November, and it was done with, wait for it, social engineering. Oh, so it's not a hack. I mean, I know we, we can argue about whether social engineering is hacking. I, I personally think it kind of is, but it, you know, I also kind of think hacking involves exploiting something that's a flaw. And I guess this is hacking people. So it's like analog hacking. Uh, but the attacker basically called customer support. Listen to this. The attacker called customer support and basically was able to attain access to the customer support system. Hi, my name's Chet. I need to install log me in on your customer support system because you've been hacked. That kind of thing. Yeah. So the access allowed, uh, it gave them uh, the access to full names, email addresses, date of birth, zip codes. Um, but if you do read beyond the headline, uh, basically they only got the birthday and zip code information for about 300 people out of this big j data set and only, and more extensive information was, was apparently extracted for 10 people. So maybe they were just looking for something specific. Uh, Robin Hood did not believe that bank account numbers, debit card info, or social security numbers were exposed. And again, did not believe, uh, but there was apparently a ransom demand also associated with this. Uh, and the threat for the ransom was leaking the data. Uh, Robin Hood recommended that customers be wary of phishing emails. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, you know, we got fish, so, you know, maybe you should be wary of these things because it worked on us. Apparently, they need to send some advice down to their own employees. But to be fair, some of these social engineering campaigns are very, very clever and, and, wor and do work. I mean, we, we know that. Uh, they also advised enable, uh, ed enabling two-factor on your account. They did say that no passwords were exposed in this incident. So that was that previous incident where all the passwords got exposed. Taking on a behemoth has always been a challenge. Just ask Bing. Uh, just ask, uh, you know, I, there's, there's examples where it's worked. I mean, I mean, look at Excel versus Lotus 1, 2, 3. 
I mean, way back when Lotus One Two Three was a monster, and uh, along came a little dinky Challenger, um, not VP Planner, although they were awfully successful. Um, but uh, but Excel came along and took them out. Uh, Chrome has dominated the browser markets for a long time and has about 90% of the browser market share. And it's really hard to knock somebody off that pedestal because you get used to it. Uh, you've got all your bookmarks there. And of course, they know that and they set it up that way. Um, you, Y-O-U, is the latest attempt to crack into this browser market uh, and that, you know that, that Google controls. It's uh, you as well. It's, it's, it's a browser you know, to, to browse stuff. Uh, the company claims that they will use artificial intelligence to have customized results for all your browsing needs as well as additional privacy. The company is backed by Salesforce founder Mark ben Benioff and has raised about $20 million in, in first-round funding. Uh, currently, the engine uh, is partnering with Bing, <laughs> okay, uh, and using Yelp's business catalog to produce results. So what's the point? Well, as ever, they claim they have a fully private incognito mode that does not, repeat, does not collect data. No way ever they are going to collect data. And I guess that's the play. I mean, Google is a big evil company, according to them, that's cornering the market and collecting everything down to the size of your, well, uh, shoes. So, so switch over to our private browser that we really, really, really promise will never, ever, ever collect your data and has AI. Now, I don't know how many people will buy that sales pitch, uh, and of course, time will out on that. Chrome does control the market. Prying any of that away is going to be a big challenge. Just ask DuckDuckGo, Ecosia, Brave, and all the other examples of browsers that have sprung up with various different initiatives, including privacy, uh, focusing on, and, and a lot of them trying to not collect your data. Good luck. I mean, I, mean I, and I do mean it. I hope that you succeed with this, but I think it's going to be a long and difficult road. Underwriters Laboratory is a safety organization that tests and certifies uh, electrical safety. You know, that little UL tag on those holiday lights you put up. And it's now launching Safe Cyber Digital Security Platform, which will focus on the security of connected devices, like all those holiday lights, which are connected to your network now. Uh, th this platform seems to be focused on device manufacturers and is trying to help with cybersecurity threats against IoT-type gadgets as well as IIoT. Uh, they have a solution called Maturity Path. Uh, which basically UL is helping to do maturity assessment for the devices and ensure that they're in compliance with the United States government rules. And they're also providing firmware checks for and field monitoring capability for things that are already deployed out there. I don't find it particularly surprising that we're moving in this direction. So at least you could see some kind of indicator that maybe basic safety is being followed. Yeah. As a product tester for Speedo and Rocco's flavored thongs, he makes sure that the seams are not going to split at that inopportune moment when you do the triple black backflip with two and a half rotations and find out that you're about to have to climb out of the pool on natural to get your gold medal. He's master seam splitter himself, Jason Wood. And let me tell you, there is nothing quite like having an audience of people and cameras watching to see when the seams are going to split and having to climb out of that pool. Um... Hey, everybody. It's good to be with you again. Thanks for the always interesting intro, Doug. Um, I was looking today, and I, I found this article on ThreatPost that I, I wanted to take a look at, which was about discovery of an uh, initial access broker and and how that came across. How did how did how was this research down and and um, 
did they determine, researchers determined that they possibly had a, an access, new access broker that they didn't know about. Now, if you go in here, the link is in the show notes. It's um, definitely interesting to read. Part of it is going to read a little bit like Abbott and Costello doing who's on first because you're bouncing around between different domain names and groups and researchers that are pointing out information. Uh, but once you get in that, past some of that, you start to get a picture of how some of these relationships work. Uh, between the different uh, threat actor groups, I guess you know some of them are criminal, some of them are more state-sponsored uh, groups are out there trying to accomplish whatever goal that they have. Um, initial access brokers, if if that's you know maybe something that's a little bit of a newer ter- term to you, uh, basically they specialize in just getting access into an environment. They don't do anything to follow up with it really to monetize that short of selling the access to it. They'll validate that, okay, here's what we've got. Yes, we're able to get command execution or put a web shell down or what have you. Um, But rather than turn that into a ransomware attack or try and collect information from the environment, they'll focus, you know, instead they'll just sell that access off to somebody else. And typically they'll focus on things like, hey, we do SQL injection and these types of web apps over here like WordPress or, um, you know, whatever the platform is beneath it. And they'll they'll go after that repeatedly and, and just try and rinse and repeat here and see what they get. And then they turn around and they put that access up for auction on, you know, as they call it, the dark web forums, you know, where different groups come in and bid for access to this environment. You know, they give some information about it and and why this may or may not be interesting to, to somebody. And then, you know, the access can be sold for $25, they say in the article, you know, on the low end for maybe some kind of small organization, up to several thousands of dollars or more for large organizations that are particularly of interest. Um, so, you know, it just kind of varies here. Um, you know, this is their marketplace and how they, they fill this this demand for access to organizations. Um, in this particular story, it's really focused on some research by the BlackBerry Research and Intelligence team. And they were doing some digging into two ransomware groups and an APT group, which I'm assuming they're referring to, meaning a state-sponsored uh, adversary group. And they stumbled onto what they figured was now a fourth group, uh, which they've, they've, they've decided they think is, is an access broker. And where this started is they're looking at uh, Mount Locker and Phobos on the ransomware side and this APT named Strong Pity, as it was named, uh, which wasn't a name that I'm familiar with. I'll have to go figure out what that was exactly, some other names that it maps to. Um, but what got their interest is when they noticed overlap between uh, some domain name registrations and infrastructure and and whatnot being used by these very different groups. And um, so they started digging into that. So the first domain, and I'm going to list off the domain names because I find them kind of funny to you know, you see what they what they use for some of these names. But the first domain name was registered in July 2020, and the name is trashboarding.com. Um, and it was registered to a Proton uh, email address. And at the same time, there are a couple of other domains that were registered right around the same time with that email address. One of them was called supercombinating.com, uh, which they found, the researchers found that Sophos had already caught onto and had tagged as part of the um, the Mount Locker group. And so, you know, now we've got, uh, you know, something that they thought was, I guess, related to Phobos tying in with Mount Locker. And then they saw a domain name being used by Strong Pity that was revolving back to an IP address. Um, 
that was being used by one of these other domains. And so you had, you know, now three threat groups with different gr- different motives and stuff pointing back using the same infrastructure, using domains that were registered right around the same time by the same email address. And you know, at this point, they're listing off different reports from different threat actor or researcher groups out there talking about what they were finding. And, and they realized, hey, we think we've got something interesting here. And so they dug into that. And they said, you know, here's kind of a quote to explain their thought process. Uh, with three seemingly unrelated threat groups using and sharing overlapping infrastructure, we asked ourselves the question, what is the most pos- plausible explanation for these links? We concluded this was not the work of one, uh, not the work of three groups working together, or three groups together, but of a fourth player, an initial access broker that we dubbed Zebra 2104, which provided the initial access into the environments. And, you know, they get in here talking about how, you know, it would be really rare and wild for two competing ransomware groups, Mount Locker and Phobos, for example, to cooperate on infrastructure because you know, they're competitors. And why would a state-sponsored adversary group want to get involved in any of this? Because you know they've got their own thing going on. Um, from there, the article gets into you know really the demand for access and and where the access brokers are coming into play. Uh, you may remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the Conti ransomware group actually selling some access uh, to to victim organizations who uh, you know may not have paid their ransom, so they're just trying to monetize that in some way. Uh, but you know at the end of the day, you've got these different groups with different goals. They're focused on what they're good at conducting ransom, let's say, uh, ransomware operations, collecting payment and, and doing all of that and coordinating that. And, you know, hey, we're going to go out and try and figure out how to get access to all these environments. And this is going to vary from place to place. Maybe it's just easier if we just buy access. And that's what's going on here. They just buy access, then they can turn around and ransom it and or spread, spread laterally, dig into the environment and then ransom it all up. Obviously, there are folks like Revil that do more involved attacks, you know, the Kaseya, uh, breach that led to the deployment of the Revil ransomware was a different, totally different situation. Um, but for just run-of-the-mill type of operations, uh, this is you know one way of maintaining a steady flow of victims without a great deal of cost. And that's what they're talking about here. Um, so, you know, they just, it's, it's like anything else in business, right? You know, we've, we have things that, yeah, we can do in our organizations. We could come up with the way of, of uh, maintaining uh, customer contacts and sending out emails and write applications to do all that. Or we can just quickly buy access to a subscription or to something other that gives us that capability. That's what's happening here in the criminal world. Um, so, you know, this is just a good read to check out. I like, I like looking at the different aspects of the the e-crime ecosystem. I just find it to be very interesting. There's more in the article that I wasn't able to cover here. And quite frankly, that you need to map out on a piece of paper uh, to, to follow what's going on. So if that's a, of interest to you, go ahead and check that out. Uh, definitely worth doing some reading on. All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, I, I, lo- I, <laughs> I'm still hung up on strong titty, but you know, okay. I could, yeah, I don't know where strong pity comes from. I don't know what I, that I mean, means, but I, random I, word generator. They took a password <laughs> generator and they just I said, just give me like words. Yeah, and, I, I and, like anything like that, that, that people are going, what does this mean? But yeah, it's like, yeah, but it, that was good. Thank you. And finally, oh, Elon, you'll never learn. Or maybe you already know. I, you know, I mean, I always sometimes think Elon got, you know, it's all, everything Elon does is planned and it's it's just some kind of, you know, maneuver. 
but ask Twitter something and never you're never going to get the answer that you wanted. I mean, that's how we got the HMS Bodie McBoat phase, the Volkswagen Otto McAutogesicht, and my kid ended up named Whitey McWhiteface. But, I mean, you know, our old buddy Elon said he would sell 10% of his Tesla shares to pay taxes if his poll on Twitter said that he should. I, I'm sure he thought that the poll was going to say he should, but I don't really know what he was expecting. But 58% of the Twitter voters said yes. I don't know who those other people are. Like, no, Elon, don't don't pay anything. But So if he sells it, it would be like $21 billion worth of uh, Tesla shares. So it's kind of like me going out for pizza anyway. You know, it's like, let's have let's get like the special pizza tonight that's more expensive. But the question will remain, will he sell the shares? If he sells them, will he actually pay taxes with them? I mean, I don't know. Tesla shares dropped 5% after, the, after he tweeted this. Uh, and Elon's worth about $338 billion on any given day. So basically, he could just buy the planet if he wants to and make everyone dance a hula on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. So who knows? And that's the news. Thanks, Jason, for joining us today on Security Weekly News. Elon, call me.